0: Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We would like to welcome and greet you to this sacred space that is Marsh Chapel this morning. Welcome to all of you sitting here in our congregation as well as our congregational family listening over the radio waves at WBUR and our global listeners via the web. We join together this bright Sunday morning to give thanks to the Creator and recognize the divine presence that is all around us. Let us stand as we are able and praise God while the choir sings our introit and we all join in hymn song. Grant to us, Lord, we pray, the spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we who cannot exist without you may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated we enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and left undone that burden us through our days. As the choir leads us in singing the Kyrie together, may we reflect on our lives as creatures of the world, creatures of the earth, and of children continually struggling and striving to live in the presence of God. Lord, have mercy. mm mm-hmm. news. There is more love in God than there is sin in us. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from the first book of Kings, Chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in the presence of God. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jeru, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahola, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: And now, please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 85 with the Antiphon. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and will make a path for his steps. Now, please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of today's gospel lesson.
3: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. Lord. Immediately he made the the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, "'It is a ghost!' and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, "'Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid.' Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to to you, Lord Christ.
0: Please be seated. If you would, join me in a word of prayer. God of silence and sound, may the words of my mouth and the quiet meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. I'd like to thank Dean Hill for offering a chance for me to speak this morning from this historic and profound pulpit. And I send out so much gratitude to all my colleagues at Marsh Chapel, who I'm so privileged to work with every single day. And thank you to all of you, our lovely Marsh Chapel congregation in the pews and on the radio, I couldn't hope for a better congregational family. The task before us this summer, the theme, the musings, the remination, is the gospel and emerging adulthood. Typically among scholars, the emerging adult is classified as a transitioning stage of life that roughly aligns with the ages 18 to 35. As an emerging adult myself, who is married to another emerging adult and has many friends and colleagues who are also emerging adults, I find that this topic is pretty important and very near and dear to my heart. Furthermore, in this current generation of emerging adults, we find ourselves emerging out of the front cusp of the millennial generation. This era of emerging adulthood comes with its own unique sets of graces and struggles. I, like so many other 18- to 35-year-olds, am wading through this transitional period just trying to make a spiritual home for myself. And as an emerging adult, I want to tackle a subject that's not much talked about in our generation and isn't much talked about in, in many generations before us. This topic is silence, and yes, believe me, I realize the irony in doing a whole sermon, a whole spoken speech about silence, but I figured if Simon and Garfunkel can write a song about it, then I might as well preach on it too. I, like many of my peers, have long struggled with silence, particularly with unplanned silence, as in a silence that isn't pre-organized in prayer or meditation. A silence that would creep up in conversation and make me feel like I was suffocating under the pressure to come up with something to say. The elongated pause, the awkward silence, the thoughtful moment would typically make my skin crawl and I would immediately feel the urge to fill that silence with some witty statement or new topic of conversation. Research shows that this cringing feeling amidst silence is not only about me. It's a common trait of many young adults and adults in this generation. We are the generation, after all, that created a special hand gesture to alleviate the awkwardness we sometimes feel around silence. If you have ever done the awkward turtle, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But even in planned silence, we still feel squirmy. I've practiced meditation for nearly eight years now, and my first teacher, a Buddhist monk from rural Iowa and a big believer in silence, accused me of having monkey mind. That whenever the stillness or silence of the moment crept into my mind, I would reach out for new topics, images, and ideas to fill what I thought was a void. As it turns out, a lot of emerging adults struggle with monkey mind. In our image-driven digital oversharing culture, where there are constant outlets of expression, speech, thought, and opinions, silence is often viewed as a weakness, as a vulnerability, a lack of concern or input, and even sometimes a lack of intelligence. We tweet, we post, we Instagram, we text, we call, we email, we chat, we share. We're wonderful in being in community, but do we even attempt to do silence anymore? It seems that even times for intentional silence is becoming more rare and scarce. And the only communal quiet that we ever experience are in the occasional moments of silence that we share together in grief or loss. Silence for us has become a signal of sadness, not joy. Silence for us has become a signal of inconsideration, not thoughtfulness. But it has not always been this way. There are reasons for this cultural shift about silence. George Proshnick, in his book, In Pursuit of Silence, shares research that in the current American society, sound signifies a good time. When something is loud, our minds immediately jump to fun, party, enjoyment. And restaurants are using his research to drum up their business. The noisier the place, the more business they get. And even as we attend these riotous restaurants, where we can barely hear the person next to us, we feel immense pressure to shout out a conversation to one another through the din of noise until our voices go raw. We shout, we laugh, we sing, we converse animatedly because we delight in community. Our sound is all around us. Sound through music and movies are now streamlined into our pockets via phones, tablets, and electronic devices. We are enabled to be immersed in sound from the moment we wake up in the morning to the moment we go to bed at night. I myself have fallen into the bad habit of turning on my radio as soon as I wake up and falling asleep to Jemmy Fallon every night on my TV. But this overexposure to sound is not only damaging our mental and spiritual health, but our physical health as well. Proshnik goes on to say in his book that long has overexposure to sound been associated with hearing loss, as many of you know. But newer research states that it also affects your cardiovascular system, your heart. Going to bed with lots of noise around you, say talking a lot or listening to TV, your blood pressure can rise through the night and stay high all the next day. He also mentions that occasionally there are excessive outside noises that we can't resolve that are affecting our health. Proshnik writes that in the United States, many times subways haven't been maintained carefully and are already running at a decibel that is dangerous. Those of you who have ever ridden the MBTA Green Line through Boylston Station, I think can relate to this. Furthermore, too much noise can damage our mental and spiritual health. While constantly expressing through words, we often don't pause for true introspection or discernment. We get so caught up in speech that we can no longer hear ourselves clearly. Emerging adults and our culture at large has been thoroughly steeped in a sharing age. We value speaking up, standing up for something, civic activism, speaking our truths, poetry and protest in full force. And while these are beautiful trademarks of our culture and who we are that I would not trade for anything, I find that the lack of silence makes us lack in a lot of other things, not the least of which is our spiritual relationship with the divine. The ancient Egyptian proverb of speech is silver but silence is golden is bandied about but do we really find silence golden anymore? Perhaps for our generation, we might say silence is golden, but speech is platinum. But why, why don't we cherish silence and practice it the way we should? When it comes up in our everyday lives, we so often choose sound over silence. Why is that? Because for many of us, silence is scary. In our scripture today in 1 Kings, we see Elijah, a broken prophet, standing on a mountainside, waiting for God to pass him by. At this point in the Elijah narrative, Elijah is running away from his life, from his responsibilities. Elijah has demolished all the false prophets of Jezebel, and the angered queen sends him a message that she is now personally coming after him to take his life. Elijah is scared. He drops all of his prophetic duties. He feels alone and abandoned, and Elijah goes and hides in a cave on a mountainside and waits for God to pass by. And this great rattling theophany approaches him, and Elijah witnesses a great storm with crackling lightning and earth-shaking thunder, but he does not find God there. Then comes a tumultuous earthquake that shatters rocks and uproots trees in front of him, but he doesn't find God there. And then a roaring fire ignites and consumes everything around him, but God is not there. Through all of these terrors, Elijah stands firm and waits for what he wants to be a true revelation from the divine. Finally, the scene is enveloped in an eerie and total silence. A silence felt down in the core of your being, a silence that fills up the heavens. This silence is so profound that over the years, Hebrew scholars have struggled to bring it justice in a translation. Perhaps most familiar to you is the King James Version, calling it a still, small voice. And today's interpretation calls it a sheer silence. Others call it a soft murmuring, a deep silence. Modern day Hebrew scholar Dr. Chun Xiao said it's so difficult to translate because in Hebrew itself is an oxymoron. The most wooden literal translation is the sound of fine silence. God chooses a discourse in the sound of fine silence. It is in this distilled silence that Elijah somehow encounters the Lord. And what does Elijah do? He hides. He physically pulls up his mantle, a bit of his cloak over his face in fear in the same way a child would pull a cover over their face in a thunderstorm. But Elijah stood through the storm, through the quake, through the fire, but shudders in the silence because silence is scary. In silence, we find ourselves vulnerable, disarmed and naked. In silence, we fear that we may not be understood or maybe that we may not understand. In silence, we worry that our innermost expressions will be exposed and we cannot guard ourselves carefully with our words. Silence opens up in us a space that we are not always familiar or comfortable with. But the sacred one comes in the silence. God chooses the mode of conversation with Elijah. God is not in the fire, not in the quake, not in the storm. God chose silence to be with Elijah in that moment. Though silence may be intimidating, we stand a lot to gain from practicing it. In silence, we might discover who we are, become better members of our community, offer clarity or perception. We can develop a closer walk with the sacred. In silence, we are offered a chance to examine those vulnerabilities and truths we were once afraid of. In resting ourselves in quiet, we become less dependent on sound. We release that protective barrier and we become comfortable with ourselves and the vulnerability and truths we were once afraid of. Our self-awareness increases and so does our ability to connect with others. In silence, we gain insight. In silence, we get introspection into our souls. Howard Thurman reflected on his need to abandon speech at times and to accept silence. He wrote, I abandon all that I think that I am, all that I hope to be, all that I believe I possess. I let go of the past, I withdraw my grasping hand from the future and in the greatest silence of this moment, I alertly rest my soul. The silence that surrounds great introspection allows for thoughtfulness and rest. In silence, we become better listeners and thus better friends, stronger community members Dr. Robert Dykstra, a pastoral care professor at Princeton Theological Seminary and longtime pastor, would often share with his classes what he considered to be one of his most profound moments of pastoral care. When a fellow faculty member and dear colleague of his lost a spouse during the school year, Dr. Dykstra repeatedly asked if there was anything he could do, if she would like to talk or process or pray together or if he could bring her anything. She politely refused every time. Finally, Dr. Dykstra called her up and said if she would like for him to just come sit in her office in the afternoon, and she accepted. Similar to the way that Job's friends sat with him in silence during his anguish and agony, Dr. Dykstra sat on the office floor in complete silence, sometimes grading paper, sometimes drinking tea, but most often just sitting. He came every afternoon for nearly two weeks until she told him she was fine to be on her own again. Dr. Dykstra never offered advice or verbal comfort, but simply sat in an intimate, comforting, billowing silence. Months later, his colleague called him up and told him that through all of her grief, through all the casseroles and weepy conversations, that those afternoon hours in silence and companionship had meant the most to her and offered her the most healing. Silence is just good pastoral care, Dr. Dykstra would tell us. Silence makes you a better friend and a better companion in life. Silence often offers us clarity, provides us a chance to perceive things more clearly. Rainer Maria Rilke, as many of you know, is my Poet Companion of the Year, and he wrote about silence. He said, since I have learned to be silent, everything has come closer to me. A few weeks ago, I was visiting my parents in southern Illinois. They live among the Great Plains and cornfields and big blue skies that are wider than the earth itself. And my dad, my husband Carson, our family dog Riley and I went for a hike through a patch of woods and prairie grass. For the majority of the hike, we chattered away about the mosquitoes, where we wanted to eat for dinner, how our jobs and lives in Boston were going. We got to a point near the middle of a field and my dad called abruptly for 60 seconds of silence. He set a timer and we stood amongst the tall grass and wildflowers. And in the blossoming silence of that moment, I felt what Rilke said. I felt that everything was somehow coming closer to me. The smells of the honeysuckle, the buzz of the insects, the deep green of the oak trees. It is in silence that the things that have become far away from us come home again and we can feel closer to the universe, to our loved ones, and to the sacred presence that surrounds us. In fact, not only in this 1 Kings biblical narrative, but throughout the entire scriptures, we see how often it is that silence develops a more intimate relationship with the divine. As Elijah did, we often ask again and again for God to hear us, and to answer our prayers with a clear word. But sometimes God is the sound in fine silence. Sometimes God's silence speaks to us. God's silence spoke profound volumes while Elijah stood on that mountain awaiting reprieve. God's silence in the story of Job defines the entire interaction in discourse that become Job's foothold for life and revelation. God's silence is just as profound as God's words. When a young, unwed mother gives birth to a savior in the manger, God was silent. When Jesus in agony dies on the cross, God was silent. In these profound moments of silence with God, It does not mean that there is a lack of communication with the divine. God is sharing in these moments with the chosen discourse of silence, an intimate, vulnerable sharing in the quiet together with Elijah, Job, Mary, Jesus, and us. God's silence speaks volumes to us. God's quieting of our souls is a priceless companionship. This sacred silence is so often an invitation to deepen, to ripen your relationship with the divine. Sufi poet Rumi said, silence is the language of God. All else is poor translation. Sometimes it is in the silent moments that the sound of God is felt so deep in our bones that we become closer than ever to the spirit. Beloved friends, we are called to live into this silence. In our emerging adulthood and adulthood, amongst the clatter, twitter patter, and banter of noise, let us make time for silence in our lives. Five minutes of introspection with a cup of tea in the morning. A prayer and three minutes of quiet before you sleep at night. Ten minutes of silence as we walk along the river or the harbor. Do not be afraid as Elijah was. Do not pull your cloak over your face for God often reaches out to us in the silence. In the conclusion of his book, The Power of Silence, George Proshnick states that nowhere can complete silence be found. Even monasteries and Quaker meeting houses have a background buzzing, murmuring, and noise. So we must redefine silence for ourselves. We must redefine silence as a time of creating intentional silence, intentional quiet space. When we do this, Proshnick says we become injected with the fertile unknown. Enter into that fertile unknown and take heart that God is there. Take time to experience that fertile unknown in silence every single day. Silence is the language of God, all else is poor translation. Make for yourself a home and the divine sound of fine silence, and may you find soulful insight, holy companionship, clarity of mind, and a dwelling place in the presence of God. Amen. Mm.
4: a time of prayers of the people where we hold the concerns of the world and the cries of our hearts in tandem and offer them into God's keeping. You are invited in this time of sound and silence to move into a posture of prayer that embodies the concerns of your heart by sitting, by standing, by coming forward to kneel, by offering these sounds of your prayers from your heart and the intoning of your soul. As the choir leads us in singing singing our call to prayer, lead me, Lord. attention, the words will end, Holy One in your mercy, please respond, hear our prayer, and hold the silence after. For our sisters and brothers who are enduring violence and threat of violence, who know the daily reality of systemic fear, who do not know home to be a safe place, who seek refuge and the goodwill of others, and for those souls who devote their lives to the alleviation of personal and societal trauma and injustice. Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For souls living with physical and mental illness. Who live with unrelenting pain. Who await diagnosis or treatment. Who struggle with social stigma and rejection. And for those souls who devote their lives to healing and caregiving. Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. for souls moving through transitions, who celebrate birthing and new life, who grieve lost love and relationships, who seek employment, who prepare to enter a new year of schooling, who change surroundings or habits of being, or seek to end or begin cycles of new behavior. And for those souls who devote their lives to offering guidance, counseling, and presence to folk in their life journeys. Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our sisters and brothers living in the dailiness of life, who are in seasons of routine and stability, who know contentment, who awaken with hope, and for those souls who work and live alongside them in the seasons of their own lives, Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayers. For souls living with questions of discernment, who see life with a new perspective, who seek clarity of call, invocation, or ministry, or service, who encounter spirits moving, upending, or altering expectations or neatly planned lives, and for those souls who hold sacred space and offer presence within the questions and holy wandering, Holy One, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And for the cries of our own hearts and the souls we now name into your compassionate silence. Holy One, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. Hear our prayer, Holy One, as we speak the words Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done
0: Please be with you. Good morning. We'd like to take this time to welcome you again to Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary amongst a city in a time of peace when life can be chaotic and stressful. We hope that you will find a home here no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. This is a place for you to continue that walk. We'd love to get to know you better and help you get to know one another. And a great way of doing that is by putting your contact information in the red books towards the center aisle of each pew. So please pass those along. Directly following the service will be refreshments and coffee downstairs. It's a great time for fellowship. All of you are welcome. I'd like to extend a special warm welcome to my colleague and friend, Reverend David Norris, a pastoral associate at Broad Street Ministry, who guest read our gospel this morning. Thanks for being with us. And next Sunday, we will be wrapping up our summer preaching series, The Gospel in Emerging Adulthood, with guest preacher Reverend Dr. Regina Walton from St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Western, Massachusetts. We hope to see you all then. You can find more information about Marsh Chapel on our website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also an opportunity for online giving. As we beckon the ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. We have an opportunity to practice that gift now. As the choir lifts us up in song, won't you find yourself being as generous as you are able?
2: you thanks with our bodies, with our minds, with our spirits, and with the items in the plate today. We give you thanks for the silence, and we ask that we see silence today and in the future as a blessing. We ask that in the coming week we find acts of worship to be blessings to others and to find blessings in those around us. In your son's name, amen.
0: into the sanctuary of the world. Find a deeper relationship with the divine in your every silent breath. Amen.